Our sermon uh, passage today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I failed to mention that earlier to give you a heads up and a head start. You could mark your place. So if you didn't do that because you didn't see it on the bulletin, just turn fast. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided there for you. Uh, kind of somewhere in the seat in front of you, you'll see hopefully a rack down there with the little black hardback books. Uh, the black ones are the Bibles, and Colossians is near the back. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And I've just titled this message, Guidelines for the King's Servants. Hopefully it'll make sense why that was the title later. But Colossians chapter 3, the words will be on the screen. And I'm going to ask you, if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, as just we open our ears and hearts attentively to his voice in his word. Hear the word of the Lord. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do thank you now, as always, for your word and that we can open it with the full expectation that you have something to say to us in it. It is true, every jot and tittle of it. It is living and active and powerful, Lord, and you, by your great grace and power, make it uh, personally true and living to us. You apply it in personal ways, Lord, that touch us right where we are, that say exactly the truth we need to hear, that awaken in us the very things that need to be brought to life. And so, Lord, you know every person here. You know every need in their life, even ones they don't know. And how your word speaks to it. And so we ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. Because all of this is yours. And so, Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument for your good purpose and pleasure today in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, during Advent, we consciously set our hearts on waiting and longing for the Messiah. And uh, if you've been here or a church that kind of has an Advent observance, you know that that's the case. We, we sort of reinsert ourselves even into uh, the, the waiting of those Old Testament saints, waiting for the Messiah and his first coming. And we, we uh, remind ourselves that we are presently waiting his return. And so we, we enter into that place of waiting and longing for the Messiah. And then on Christmas, of course, we celebrate his arrival. 
and that he delivered what it is we were waiting for. Uh, Many probably here this morning have waited sometime in the last month. You've waited for a package to be delivered. Hopefully, they all came if you were expecting them to come before Christmas. But you, you waited and uh, maybe even had that notification on your phone. You've got the Amazon app or something or you get the email notifications that says the UPS man arrived. And you get home to find out he came and he delivered what you were waiting for. Well, in a much greater and more glorious way, at Christmas we celebrate that Jesus came, the Savior came, and he delivered what we were waiting for. Among those are the, the, the things we light candles um, and sort of focus our attention on, hope, joy, uh, love, and peace, and, and all else, that all the deliverance that we uh, wait for and long for, for the Messiah to provide, to deliver us out of despair and worry and fear and hopelessness and all of those kinds of things that beset us at different times in our lives. That he came and he delivered. And so now what? Because, you know, Christmas comes and goes pretty fast. We, in our culture, the way we celebrate it, the way we observe it, we, we do the anticipation pretty well. I don't know that it's really an Advent kind of waiting, we don't sort of like the, the, the darkness and longing part of it, but, but you know, we, we start celebrating early, but then by the time the 25th gets here, we're ready to pack it all up and leave it behind. But that's really not the way the story's written for us in the scripture, is it? You know, that he arrived and he delivered what it was we were waiting for. You may remember, so the question is, so now what? So now what? You may remember that, the first week in Advent, we considered the fact that there is an already and a not yet dimension to Christ's kingdom. Because as we talked about, that, that, that uh, the hope was that the Messiah would, would come and administer justice, right, and righteousness. That, that's part of what we would deliver. And we said, well, Jesus already came. Why is there so much injustice and unrighteousness that remains in the world? And again, part of the answer is, that he's already delivered on that and yet not yet fully delivered on that. There's a sense in which his kingdom has already been established and yet not yet fully established. He reigns from heaven and the church brings his kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven. Or in other words, Christ reigns presently through the church. Christ is reigning right now. In fact, I read even uh, as we opened up from Hebrews chapter 1. He is right now, at this moment, holding the universe together by the word of his power. Aren't you glad he can't be distracted from that? I like the universe held together. That's my favorite way for the universe to be. He's, He's reigning Right now, but he reigns through the church. His dominion is made visible through us. That's through us. I mean, right, like that's, he can, he can work with it. Like we can't, we couldn't make much of it by ourselves, but he can use us. 
but his dominion is, is, uh, is made visible through the church. And many of you have probably seen, um, driving around in Wilmington, the Wilmington police patrol cars driving around with blue lights on but not flashing, right? You, you've seen that and probably read about that. Uh, they have these cruise lights on. And they do that just to signal their presence. That as they drive around, as you and I are driving around or walking around or whatever, that we, that we simply see by, by virtue of those blue lights the presence of law enforcement. Legal authority, right, is present. That's, that's what those lights signal. The law of the city of Wilmington is being represented as they drive around and as they drive by. Well, the church, likewise, should give visual evidence that we represent the authority and the agenda of Christ. So listen, I, I've got, th- this message, I think, in some ways is simple and basic and yet easy enough to miss that we, the church of Jesus Christ, are to give visible evidence that we represent him on the earth. We represent his authority and we represent his agenda. A lot of us want to take his authority and apply it to our agenda. He didn't offer that package. We represent his authority and his agenda. And here's what part of what that means and the connection uh, to sort of following on from Advent. Whatever measure of peace and love and hope and joy and and, uh, justice, whatever measure of that, uh, Christ is going to deliver on this earth between the already and the not yet. He's going to deliver through the church. That's the plan. That's the plan. So when we become Christians... We are called into the king's service. Out of whatever, right? Out of darkness and into light. But we are called into his service. Our life is not our own. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because even though it's not my own, I can still make a right good mess of it. Our life is not our own. We represent Christ's authority and, and his agenda in a similar way uh, that soldiers represent the authority and the agenda of the United States, wherever it is they go and serve on duty. Our soldiers who this morning are deployed somewhere on the other side of the world, wherever they are present, they are there representing the authority of the United States and whatever authority it actually has in that space across the world. And they certainly represent the agenda of the United States. And it's true at home as it is abroad. And so I want to I want to sort of use that as a metaphor that uh, sort of a running metaphor through this message that hopefully we can we can sort of get a hold of that that makes it accessible for us to understand uh, what it means to live all the time as representatives giving visual evidence even of the authority and the agenda of the king 
whom we serve. And so I want to look at Colossians, this passage here from Colossians 3, uh, with that in view, seeing here guidelines for living as the king's servants. And they are, number one, to dress the part. Number two, to internalize the values of the king, that is, in the kingdom. Number three, to know the word. Number four, to remain on duty. Number one, I've said just dress the part, and I put dress in quotes there uh, so that we don't get confused because some of us have somewhere along the way in our Christian journey been, um, been burdened with the expectation that somebody else had that Christians are supposed to dress or look a certain way. That is not the point. You see dress is in quotes here. But all military servicemen have a uniform that they are required to wear and even a specific way they are to wear it. Some of you who have been in service know that. Uh, for, as an example, the Marine Corps uniform regulations, uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole manual on uniform regulations, but I, here's a few bullet points from the, the Marine Corps uniform regulations. It says, the uniform represents the visual evidence of the authority and responsibility vested in the individual by the United States government. Any activity which detracts from the dignified appearance of Marines is unacceptable. The person who wears the uniform, in other words, ought to be worthy of the uniform. That's the message for that Marine. Any activity which detracts from the dignified appearance of Marines is unacceptable. Violation of the uniform regulations may result in prosecution under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. The same book of the law that can send you to Leavenworth or other places, you know. It's a, a violation of military law to, to wear the uniform improperly. That big of a deal, in other words, that, that, that as a Marine, it would be true, the same would be true if you're in the Navy, the Army, whatever other branch of the service. You wear it and you wear it right. You wear it all together right. It applies not only to your clothes, to your hairstyle, right? Even the tattoos that are acceptable and unacceptable. Your appearance has to be befitting of the service to which you're called. Well, verse 12 says that as God's chosen and beloved people, the servicemen and women of the king are to put on or clothe themselves in the appropriate way. You see that in verse 12? If you have a Bible, look in your Bible. Put on as chosen ones, holy and beloved, a list of things. And, and I've put love at the top of the list because it's actually the last one he mentions but he says above all things put on love he says in verse 14 put on love above all now listen get the analogy okay so look we can apply this when you and I every place we step in life we, we are Christians we are the king's servant you are not your own you're not who you used to be you don't have your own agenda. 
You have his agenda. That's the agenda you represent. And everywhere you go, you are to be clothed appropriately as a servant of the king. First of all, be sure, above all things, be sure you have put on love. Love gives of oneself for the good of the other. And Paul commends it here as the chief virtue. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a, love is like that one garment you put on that ties the whole outfit together. I feel awkward uh, using fashion uh, analogies as if I'm any authority on the subject, but I'm just working with what he's, he's given me here. But it, it ties the whole thing, the whole outfit together. Above all things, be sure you've got the love on. He says, number two, compassion, then kindness, then humility. Now, personalize this as we're going through. Because this is everywhere you go, every time you go there, you're clothed appropriately as the king's service, servant. Love, compassion, kindness, humility. Humility involves esteeming other people more highly than yourself. That's a challenge day by day sometimes, isn't it? You may have heard the saying that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not so much about being, you know, um, self-deprecating or whatever and, and like sort of talking yourself into thinking that, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. That's not humility. <laughs> but it's really thinking of self less altogether and thinking highly of others. Um, to the person who wants to become more humble, this is what C.S. Lewis said. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. <laughs> right? That's a good start. For the person who wants to become more humble, the first step is to know you're proud. And uh, for the person who doesn't want to become humble, wow, you're mighty proud, aren't you? He says meekness. Meekness is acting in a manner that's gentle, mild, or even, even tempered. It's some, uh, some translations even say there, instead of meekness, they use the word gentleness. That may be in your, I think maybe the NIV and some others use that word. I'm pausing here for us to appreciate. I mean, again, if we just think of this as something uh, sort of theoretical and, and Christianish, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go through it and we'll close the book and we'll go on to lunch. If we think about the way the church has visibly represented itself in the last year and a half, and whether we've represented the Lord well, whether, whether the testimony of people outside the church would be that we're a people of meekness, gentleness, humility, kindness. Um, I think there ought to be enough, if, if somebody could play back the game tape for us, to hear ourselves, some of the things we've said publicly, 
if people would just show us some of our Facebook posts back to us. That would, that would be testimony enough. That would be in itself humbling, or at least opportunity for us to be humbled by it. He goes on, beyond meekness, patience. The New King James uh, here and other places, like in Ephesians 4, uses the word long-suffering, and I always love that word. Isn't that what patience feels like sometimes? Long-suffering. But it actually does convey uh, something helpful about the, the Greek word there. Because it, in, it involves deferring uh, the, the natural human reaction you might want to give and maybe deferring it over and over and over. That rather than retaliating, rather than avenging yourself, even when it's in your power to avenge yourself, that you choose not to. When it would be in your power in some way to inflict pain on the person who inflicted it on you, to go ahead and resolve the issue at least to a satisfactory degree in your own mind, that you withhold that That's patience. Forbearance. I I use the word forbearance here. He says, actually, it expresses it in verb form, bearing with one another. You may be familiar enough with Paul's epistles to know there's a a real ring of familiarity with uh, that Colossians 3 has with Ephesians 4. Real similar instructions. He's saying, in light of what God has done for you, translating you out of darkness and into his light, raising you from death to life, all that he's done by grace, you ought to live a a certain way, gracious in your dealings with other people. And, um, And he uses some of these same words, but one of them being, bearing with one another. Bear with me. You know that phrase, right? Bear with me. This has to to do with enduring something unpleasant or difficult. To bear bear with has to do with uh, enduring something unpleasant or difficult. Specifically here, he mentions that the, uh, the unpleasant and difficult thing is one another. How dare he talk about you that way? But again, this is really, really practical and instructive. That that the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, one of the ways that, that we are to be clothed in a way that befits the calling upon us, that we that befits our calling as the king's servants, is that we bear with one another when one another are difficult and unpleasant. And you know, some people are just that way, like all the time, and maybe particularly for you. It may be that somebody just, just is prickly to you, and they don't bother other people, but just that every, every time you get around them, 
It just so happens that your last nerve is the one exposed and they get on it right away. And it's just people are that way sometimes. And, and what, the, what the gospel calls us to is to bear with one another. One of the re- I, don't, I don't particularly like that on one hand, okay? I don't like that it's necessary, but I am glad that he said it in this way because it, 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 it just conveys that that requires effort. Listen, this side of heaven and this side of the, until the return of Christ, there's not going to be a moment where all of a sudden you're struck with just such an overwhelming feeling of spirituality that you just feel, you know, that, that everybody just feels unified and feels loving and feels humble and meek and kind and compassionate and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to happen. Just you're not going to be struck with it. It comes with effort, enduring, bearing with one another. And then the final, uh, the final thing he mentions there is forgiveness. Um, it's, it's an obvious fact, I guess. It's, it's obvious that the, the word forgive contains the word give. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that as being significant in any way. But it's actually true uh, in the Greek, too, that the, that the word that's translated forgive has the root of the word gift in it. That forgiving means graciously giving. Once again, it's, it's, it's sort of related to patience in the sense that we just choose to withhold wrath, punishment, retaliation, that, that rather than uh, inflicting pain on the other person, we just decide to sort of bear it ourselves, as it were, by just forgiving. I wish I could say something easier. Because that's not easy to do. But, but look at the way he says it, too. It's not just that he says, forgiving one another. He elaborates the point there. In, uh, in verse 13, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. If anyone has a complaint, there are other places where we're told when there's certain conflict, if somebody sinned against you, you know, you go to the individual first and hopefully are reconciled. And that was just instructions about what to do if you have, you know, a grievance in that way. Here he says, if you have a complaint, here's, here's, the, here's the conflict resolution procedure. Forgive them. If you have a complaint against another, Forgive them. I, I, guess, I, I guess that means I can claim rights to that too. If you have a complaint against me, just forgive me. I say that in all the authority of Jesus. But no, 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 get, get the significance of all of that. Really that, uh, I'm going to sort of motor pretty quickly through the, the, these other points. But... If the rule of Jesus, the extent to which the rule of Jesus is going to be manifest on this earth right now, it is going to be through us. 
And it is not by going out and telling sinners how to act more like Christians. It is, it is for Christians to conduct themselves more like Christ. That's the plan. Clothe yourselves uh, in, the, in, in the character of Christ. And then live fittingly as his servants. We'll move on. That, the, that was the first, dress the part. Secondly, internalize the values. I said, to, to, to talking about uh, Marines or soldiers as sort of a, a running metaphor here. When a young man or woman enlists in the Marine Corps and goes off to Paris Island or wherever it is they go out west for their initial training, he learns not only how to fight, um, to do the job of a Marine. He, he learns not only that, how to do the job of a Marine. He learns that he is a Marine. And that, that's one of the things they will try to instill in that soldier is to, he identifies himself with the Marine Corps. And one of the interesting things uh, you'll hear people point out before, it's a, the Marines are the only branch of service where the, the name of the branch of the service is identical to the name of the individual serving in that branch. Somebody who serves in the army doesn't say, I am an army. Somebody who serves in the navy doesn't say, I am a navy. There's another name they, they have, right? I'm a soldier, I'm a sailor, I'm an airman. You serve in the Marine Corps, I am a Marine. That's one of the things they will try to instill, not only how to do the job, but to identify with the Marine Corps. I am a Marine. Internalize the values of the core. They do similar things, by the way, in, in other branches of the service, I'm quite sure. But that becomes his identity. The values of the Marine Corps becomes his values. Well, verse 15 really says to us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to indeed uh, to which you were indeed called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know, you know as well as I do, that all of your attempts to be peaceable outwardly or to be kind and gentle and meek and all of those other words, uh, uh, your attempts to do that outwardly without uh, God having done something inwardly, right, to, to, to impart that to you. Uh, they're, they're futile efforts and won't last long at all. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body. For the body of Christ, peace is a core value. Now see, again, we, we are living in a time, uh, perhaps for many of us, the, the season we've been living in is, is the greatest period of conflict in our lifetime where we feel like the nation is most divided, people are most polarized, it is characterized by conflict. But for the people of God, that is not to be true of us. Peace is a core value and it is to be internalized to our very core. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There's this quote from... The early church, around the year 200, a bishop of Alexandria named Clement uh, wrote in a particular apology he was making. You know, the Christians who were being persecuted 
throughout the Roman Empire, um, they, they had to, at different times, make a defense of Christianity, simply saying, we are not, uh, we're not your enemy. Uh, you don't have to worry about Christians rising up um, in rebellion or insurrection against the Roman government. We're not that kind of people. And they, they wrote in various uh, ways that message. And Clement said this about Christians. We are not trained in war, but in peace. War requires tremendous scheming, but peace and love, simple and quiet lives, require neither weapons nor tremendous scheming. Peace and love, simple and quiet lives, require neither weapons nor tremendous scheming. Our lives would be transformed and transforming, transformational, if we become people of peace and love who resolve to live quiet and simple lives. And that is, in essence, what we're called to do as we internalize those values. Number three, the servant of the king is to know the word. Again, in the military, no matter what branch of service somebody occupies, and no, what, no, no matter what their occupational specialty is, there will be a manual that tells them how to do their job. If there's anything to be done, the military has a procedure book for it and a whole lot of, lot of acronyms to go with it and abbreviations for stuff. But there's a field manual that tells everybody how to do their job. I mean, even in the infantry, it'll say, here's who's on a, 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 a fire team, you know, the rifleman and the machine gunner and the grenadier and uh, all the different jobs or whatever roles on that team. There's a field manual that says how you're to do your job and also that tells you how everybody else does their job. And it is the job of every team member to know the job of every other team member, especially in combat units, because at any time they could find themselves needing to fill, fill the role of somebody else. They have to know what's in the manual. They have to know the book. And again, it says to the servants of the king, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly abundantly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Have an abundance of the word in you. You simply cannot live as a follower of Christ without a steady diet of the word of God. You just can't. You, you, can't, be, you can't become a Christian and then continue to live a Christian with just the loose ideas you have of what it meant to be a Christian. From some vague ideas you've heard from vacation Bible school growing up and, you know, whatever, other sources. We need a steady diet and a, a rich diet of the Word of God. And again, internalizing it so that it becomes a part of us internally. Number four, a servant, on the king, a servant of the king is to remain on duty. The Uniform Code of Military Justice I uh, cited earlier, that the sort of the law that governs military service personnel. 
It requires servicemen to follow all rules of conduct expected by the military, whether you are on base or off base, um, even whether or not you're on active duty. If you're sent on furlough, or a, which is a temporary leave of absence, you're still required to follow the uniform code of military justice in its entirety. Now, again, I'm, I'm using this metaphor um, because we actually, as Christians, have a higher calling than, than to military service. But many American evangelicals, it might be true of American Christians otherwise, I just happen to know evangelicals. Many American evangelicals um, want for Christianity to be a sort of auxiliary, supplementary part of their life. They're sort of recreational Christians, that it's a, that it's a, a part of who they are, but a, but a small part in some cases. It's a semi-regular part as long as it's not travel soccer season or whatever, whatever else might stand in the way that, that actually comes first in their lives. That, that's, that's their view of their relationship to Christ and their calling as his servants. And what I'm saying is, we as servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords have a higher calling than the Marines, than, uh, than every soldier in the army, than the special operation, operators and so forth. We belong to him and we are always on duty. Verse 17 says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Imagine if after every word or action, we said, and I say that in the name of the Lord. Wouldn't that be a helpful habit to develop? You might just want to say it to yourself for a while. But imagine if after every word that came out of your mouth, you say, I say that in the name of the Lord. I do that in the name of the Lord. Boy, that would have a regulating force on our lives, wouldn't it? To just keep some things from coming out of our mouths, keep our hands and feet from doing certain things. But he says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, you are his all the time. In fact, the, the, the actual preface to this in the book of Colossians is you've died. At the beginning of, beginning of uh, chapter 3, he says, if you've, if you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, not on things on the earth. You died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So put to death all the earthly things in you. And he goes through a list beginning in verse 5 of those things that, are, that we, we are to put to death. Including anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk out of your mouth. Put them away. That person died. 
died. Your life belongs to him now. You're his servant all the time. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, you know, when you're going to the DMV, particularly, you know, like for that driver going to get the driver's license for the first time, there's a checklist of things you need to be sure you have before you leave the house. Maybe some of you have had the misfortune of arriving at the DMV without some of the items on that list before. And they will not serve you without them. But you, you know, you got to have a verification of your name and your birth date. You got to have your physical address, social security card, and so on. And so you might leave, you might put a sticky note on the door before you leave the house, right? Or, or something, a, a sticky note over your car keys that reminds you, don't even get, don't even like pick up the keys to go get in the car without those items. Good reminder, don't leave the house without this list of things. We might do ourselves a great favor if we had a, a, a reminder list by the back door, on the mirror, by the steer, on the dashboard of the car, it says, don't leave home without compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. That's a long list, isn't it? I mean, just the top two or three is enough of a challenge for me. But we might, we might seriously do ourselves a favor if we, if we put reminders in front of our eyes that said, this is how I am supposed to be clothed because my life is his entirely. I serve I, I go representing his authority and his agenda all the time, everywhere I go. And I want to dress the part. I want to live the values. I want to know the word and live it out as one who's on duty all the time. That's the, that's the answer to so now what? That Christ has come. He's conquered and he reigns now through the church. And our calling is to, is to reign with him to bring his kingdom to bear. And the way we do that is walking the way that he walked. There's some good resolutions in there for us, I'm sure, for 2022. Well, let's close in prayer. Well, Lord, we praise you and thank you for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And Lord, we, we need to say thank you even, even as we listen to those marching orders as it were. We're reminded, God, that it is only by your grace that there's any measure of good in us and will continue to be by your grace that we do any measure of, of good going forward. But Lord, we do pray that you would have us entirely as your very own. Our life is not our own, it is yours. Your agenda is our agenda. Lord, would you make that true more and more? And I pray, Lord, 
that you would make yourself known in a personal way to those who uh, today maybe haven't come to know you personally. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known in a more intimate way to those who have grown distant, Lord. And I pray that for all of us, we'd be called to repentance uh, and just to a deeper place of love for you and for our neighbor, out of which would flow compassion and kindness and humility in the very character of Christ. Lord, would you make us more uh, fit to be his ambassadors in this world. In his name, amen.